This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and print magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, the digital fashion, beauty and wellness, entertainment and lifestyle publication. And on this podcast, you'll get inside the story with the tastemakers and the trends that matter right now. From the actors you enjoy watching in TV and film to the most influential fashion and accessories designers, the costume designers responsible for all the on-screen style that makes its way straight to the streets, the beauty pros who set the trends in hair and makeup, the culinary creators who dream up all you want to eat and drink, the wellness experts who innovate in self-care and more, it's conversations with creatives, and we're exploring the origins or game-changing ideas and careers with those who are pushing culture forward. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products with our high-low approach to style and the belief that magic exists in the diversity of mix. We're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. Get inside the story right here. It's Story and Rain Talks. Story and Rain cover star Sophie Thatcher is an artist through and through. The Yellow Jacket star immerses herself in acting, in music, in art, writing, and fashion. On episode 128, we discuss the importance of connecting to art, how it can be transformative, and Sophie's vision for being as vulnerable and as chameleon-like as possible in her work. We discuss her being intense as a kid, how she's been influenced by music, and also by growing up Mormon. We talk about the special relationship she has with her twin, a fellow artist, and their matching tastes. We also talk about the first time she spent on set, her feelings about theater, and the things that inspire her very strong artistic and visual sensibilities. We chat about finding home on the road, planting roots in Silver Lake, and falling in love with having a sense of place. Listen in for an intimate BTS discussion on all things Yellow Jackets, the hit Showtime series currently streaming on Hulu, in which Sophie has the unique experience of playing the younger version of the older version of a character played by Juliette Lewis. Thatcher shares how sharing the role with Lewis has given her more confidence as an actor and fuel for pursuing all her artistic interests. She tells us about the impact a serious scooter accident had on how she played Natalie, and we dive into all the details of her season two storylines. Sophie weighs in on the show's discussions of belief system. And then there's the cannibalism. Sophie talks about the panic, out-of-body experience, disassociation, and weird day on set involved in shooting the season's much-anticipated key scene, and so much more. You will hear about the June release of the Stephen King movie, The Boogeyman, and her role in it opposite Chris Messina, the music she paints to, how she makes music, and more. Here's episode 128 with inspiring and incredible up-and-comer, our cover star, Sophie Thatcher. Hey. Hello. Your hair looks different from when I last saw you. I went out last night and I got it curled. But it I was, was going to say, and I love I love the wave that's happening. Thank you, Sophie. From what I can tell, you've always been intent on being a storyteller, not just as an actor. You've been interested in storytelling from a young age, right? What do you think had an early influence on you to create that desire? I think it was coming from. I don't know. I think maybe some kind of like discomfort within my own life and wanting to live in you know fantasy world because it was always just there and I was always visualizing something different and I think it's so interesting when somebody wants to be a storyteller so early on and I feel like that was you from what I could tell yeah yeah um I think it's just from a genuine not to go to you know, dark or anything, but a genuine like dislike for myself kind of early on just and genuine step, discomfort. Stepping out of your circumstances a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's not like I had a fine, it was an okay childhood, but I think it was just trying to reach beyond um, and find something 
you know, just so different. And even just within like me being so glued to the computer and like being obsessed with gaming and all of like, it was all just trying to like find some kind of escape and live in a different world. You've also said that you want to tell stories that make people feel less alone. Can you get into a little bit more on why that is? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the most powerful thing that I can feel from art or music is when I feel like it can center me and I can see myself in an artist or the music or find some point of connection. There's kind of like an ingrained loneliness in in everybody, but I think growing up, I felt that specifically. Um, and just even with like my favorite musicians, like, I mean, I bring up Elliot Smith cause he's the best at it. He's very open about his personal experience. And it's not that I have to be open, but if I can share my vulnerability and people can connect to it and see themselves within different characters I play, I feel like that will help them accept themselves and just. I don't know, just be less alone. It's a lot to talk about. That's the most powerful impact that I've seen myself um, um, take away from pieces of music and pieces of art. And it really pushes you forward and makes you feel less like you know, that impending sense of doom. What have you watched in your own life specifically? that has done that for you? Like when, when I, when we talk about this and I say that, what piece of, I guess, visual art like comes to mind first? Visual art. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm always so. Is there a movie or a series? Yeah. Um, for me, I was rewatching. I know this much is true. Derek San France. Um, it's really depressing but it's about these two twins. And I think, and Mark Ruffalo is just fantastic. The music is fantastic. My, the music is almost my favorite part of it. Harold Budd, I think it was the last thing that he did. Um, and it's this beautiful, he does a beautiful score and a lot of ambient pieces for it. Um, but that, um, just within the like twin element of the show, um, I loved that. And I just watched it and, it stayed with me for a couple of weeks and then I rewatched it and it still stuck with me. And if I can have any kind of impact like that with, within, you know, the roles that I play, even this is like something very specific and made me feel fucking amazing. Um, and made me realize that I'm kind of going on the right path. Um, I was at a bar in, um, in East Village and this woman went up to me and was like you're in yellow jackets yes showed me her rings they were all the rings that my character had and she was like you are me like I'm seeing myself on tv I've never seen myself on tv before what an incredible experience fucking insane and she would I mean it was very like when was this was this (laughs) when was well very jarring and intense but when was this Exactly in the trajectory of uh, all things Yellow Jackets. Probably like nine. This is last summer. It was last summer. Okay, last summer. I th- um, yeah, that just stuck with me. It was a little scary too because there's like some kind of I don't know. There's power within that too. Um, but that was just kind of for me the ultimate validation if I can make people feel seen and yeah and like I don't know just help people that feel in that other box feel seen what an amazing moment to connect with somebody like even through, through their rings like this person's showing you their rings I mean that and I think as somebody who's like a you know, we're going to talk more about how you have such a passion for so many things. You've uh, like art and music and acting and storytelling and, you know, and all of it, fashion. 
for somebody to give you this sort of like vis- visual representation of a must <laughs> so powerful for, it's not mm-hmm. lost on you as an artist right like that's not lost on you you know mm-hmm. um your twin sister is an artist is there anyone else in your family who shares your creative soul how are you raised when it comes to the arts um it's interesting i just i'm not very i have so much family because my family's Mormon and I just have like endless cousins and they're all in Utah, Idaho. Um, but, um, my great aunt died recently and I took my boyfriend to go, um, to Utah and see some of my distant family on my mom's side. And that made me realize, I was like, Oh, everybody's strange in their own way. Everybody's like everybody's very musical. And I think that was something that was very, um, in the church that was pushing you forward. And you, it was definitely an outlet in the church. Right. I was in right. the church choir. My mom right. played piano. Right. Um, so I grew up very musical within that. Um, I mean, everyone in my family just has very specific taste. And I don't know. I, I think it's, it's very English. It's very old fashioned. And I think that comes with the religion. Um, but it was just refreshing to go back to Utah. And even though it's like, I'm not practicing that religion anymore, everybody's still so kind and so welcoming. And to That's realize beautiful. that they're all, yeah, they're all freaks. Too. <laughs> they're beautiful. all weird. That's beautiful. I um, cause I always thought it was like, Oh, like, me and Ellie are like these that came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came from like all of them feeling out like outcast to some extent. What's it like for you guys as a pair of twins who are both artists? What's that dynamic like between you? I think we really fuel each other. There's nobody else in the world that I trust more than them and just trust their taste we basically, we have the same exact taste. And whenever they make a painting or anything, I'm like, why the fuck didn't I do that? Like, I wish I wasn't, wish I had more time to do that. Everything they do, I'm like, I can see that perfectly in my head. And now that I'm like getting back into drawing and painting more, I notice that we're living in the same kind of fantasy. It's so strange the way, and I'm sure I'm very inspired by their art, but even just within what I'm, the Drawings that I make are very medieval, and a lot of their art is very medieval inspired. And I, I, I don't know where that connection is coming from. Um, I think it's just my mom and my brother being history buffs and growing up relatively cultured. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, Ellie is, whenever I make anything new, they're the first person. I send anything to, um, I know that they'll be honest always. Um, it's, I can't imagine not having Ellie and it's hard too, because Ellie's so exceptionally talented. And for a while it felt like art, not saying that acting is an art. And for a while I felt like acting was an art, which is bullshit. Um, I felt like drawing and everything was their thing. And I wanted to let that and create space for, you know, for a healthy relationship. Cause I can get, we're being twins. It makes you naturally competitive, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're so like, they're so encouraging of me drawing. Um, they'll give me tips just because they've been doing it longer. And all those years that they have mastered the skill of it or are beginning to, you know, I was like on set and such. So I feel like I'm a little late getting back into it, but it feels like the most natural thing. And they're always encouraging. I love that you make time and space for all of these different creative outlets and endeavors. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can get lazy, but I've noticed that recently. It's either I'm taking a nap because I'm so tired or I'm trying, or I'm making music. There's no in between. I don't even, I've noticed at night now, I don't even want to like binge watch anything. Cause I'm like, no, there's a waste of time. Like I need to be making my own stuff. 
I'm one of those people where the nighttime is the time. It's so funny how people really do kind of fall into that category or to, to a couple of different categories. You're either that person that like unwinds and like lights up at night, right? But that's my, my time to be alone. Um, I have hours without getting emails, people texting me, um, put my phone away put on a record and start drawing for a bit. Um, make, I can make music for hours. I've been pretty good with that recently and I'm just getting better with like being proactive with my time and not, you know, scrolling, doom scrolling. <laughs> kind of the default sometimes. It is. It shouldn't always be cause it's always there. It's like, doesn't need to be the default. It's always there. Uh, what about your physical surroundings? So we're talking about like you creating and you, you know, how you're spending your time. How do you like your physical surroundings to be when it comes to being at home? I know being an actor requires that you like you travel all the time, but what yeah. needs to be present within your home base, wherever that home base is for you? Um, for the first time in a while, I've built myself a home here in Silver Lake. My boyfriend just moved in officially. And Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. It's so fucking nice. And I never really realized that to have a home, what that does to you, because you have to find home and people and music and bringing a book and bringing just like very specific things that you've had throughout your life. Um, but it's nice to have an actual physical safe home. Um, and it's all just filled with art. It's filled with my favorite movies. It's filled with my friends' paintings. Um, but when I'm when I'm in Vancouver and I'm like staying in Airbnbs, it's just about bringing my keyboard, so I can do that in my downtime because I get so antsy when I can't. Um, right. Bringing my keyboard. Um, bringing a stuffed animal. I like it. Those are those sort of bare bones things that you need. You need something to make music on. You need something to touch and feel. It's very, it's physical. Yeah. You have such a strong artistic and visual sensibility. I think we're getting into a little bit of that right now. What kinds of things do you love? We're talking about how when you travel and you're away from your home base where you can create a sense of home in a, in a, in a bigger way, you know, you just moved in with your boyfriend, you've been living in silver, like you're feeling the grounding of what that space is. But generally speaking, what are the kinds of things that you love? I love connection. Describe your sensibility. I just want, um, I just want to feel connected. I want to be transported and away from my world for a little bit. And that's the power of what a really good movie can do. And it can stay in you. What a good piece of art can do. You can live in that world for a second. I just want to be immersed fully and let myself um, live in a different world for a second. And I think that's what it all stems from. Do you find yourself getting immersed in things like music and films and books and during those late night hours that we're talking about, you know, are there times when you love to consume content? Is it when you're working? Is it when you're not working? Does inspiration strike to devour content at a particular time for you? When I'm working, when I was doing the last season, Yellow Jackets, um, it's interesting when I'm filming a TV show, I can't really, um, I can't really watch other TV shows and it doesn't, it feels very tainted because I'm in such a one track mind and I'm living in this world and I don't want other outsiders to get in my head. Um, so that's always interesting. I find myself, but it's also just like a, for a health, re like mental health reasons. I have to be very light with what I watch. Um, Cause I tend to skew you know, watching something a little darker, just a little bit more, something that makes me feel something. Um, I but I was it. watching a lot of reality TV uh, during the event. Just this lightness. It's like, it doesn't take anything out of you. When you're working, you need that balance of something else. I can't watch, I'm just, it's too, it's all too technical. 
I view it all in a very technical sense. I have too much anxiety for the actors. I've noticed recently, even going to plays, I feel oh, that's live so interesting. theater stresses me out so much. And having done it, I'm like, I want, I just always want the actor to succeed so badly, like to a desperate extent that it's like, sometimes it takes me away from the experience of live theater. And I just need to, you know, I mean, LA is not the place for that, but Whenever I go to New York. You're at a pivotal moment in your career. So I could see how like it, it might be hard to just like walk into a theater and walk into a theater. You know what I mean? Sit down and watch a show. I, I remember when I was like building my company, it was hard to look at anything without that, you know, mindset of yes. And be like right. internalizing. Fully just can't just enjoy it as an observer. You're 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 too close to it. You're putting yourself inside of it, right? You're an actor, of course. You're interested in mm -hmm. writing. You're mm -hmm. you play music. You express yourself through fashion and art. You're a creative through and through. We're talking about that right now. And you've talked a lot about growing up Mormon. We, we just touch on that now. And you've left the church. Did you find that Mormonism was in conflict with or bumping up against your freedom and mindset as an artist? Yes and no. I think actually within like a time constraint, it was, it was so time consuming. The reason what took me away from the church was I was just working all the time. I was doing theater. That was kind of my way out. It felt very, it felt pretty one track minded and instilled a lot of anxiety in me to some extent. And I'm already such a hyper aware, anxious person that it just didn't, it wasn't doing me any good. And having the influence of my older siblings um, and seeing them be artistic and hearing their points of views took me away from that. I don't think, because I think you can be Mormon and still be very artistic and do whatever you want. But it also, there's a sad sense of, I will never be as important as a man or as artistic as a man or have the same. Um, and even as a kid, I was like, I'm never going to have kids. And I made that a statement. And I always said that because I was like, no, I'm going to be working. And I was very adamant on that. And now I don't know how I feel, but it was just me being stubborn as a kid because seeing all these women in my church getting married very early and, you know, like it's a beautiful thing. They, the role as the mother is such an important thing in the church, but it was just something that was so far away from what I wanted. And it was you kind of confronting how you were different in some way. Right. Maybe without really knowing how, you know. Yeah, it definitely. It pushed me to another side. I think if I'd grown up without religion or without that influence, I think I would be a little less strange or a little less. It just pushed it really forced in my head I just had to be the opposite or like go the other way I get it. entirely so um and I think if I had that then I wouldn't be exactly who I am today and be into what I'm doing and as driven it's so self-aware you just you just it's just you just reminded me that like <laughs> um it, like one of my first jobs that I had to take was a job that I hated. And I remember how it pushed me right into the thing that I was and what I wanted. And, um, but you just articulated that in such a way. I think moments in time and things like that do that, right? Like it, had you not had that, it would not have sent you to where you are. Mm -hmm. Right. I get that. I really do get that. Yeah. How do you feel about working on a series or a film that will allow you to sing? Has that presented itself yet? Are you looking for projects that will allow you to do that? I have an interesting take okay. on movie musicals. I think because I was so intense as a kid and wanting to feel everything, incorporating dancing, singing, and acting was the perfect option. 
And that's why I was drawn to musicals because it was just a release of energy because I had so much fucking energy stored in me. And I think I've calmed down to an extent where I crave that less. But if it's done right, it can be so powerful. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about any Sondheim show. I rewatched um, Cabaret. Oh, you did? And was bawling the entire time. I cut my hair short a while ago. Um, Liza Minnelli's like my fucking icon. When I was singing, growing up, I was like, I need to sound like her and try to replicate my vibrato to sound like her. My number one karaoke song is Baby This Time. Oh, nice. <laughs> but I showed my boyfriend that. And I was just like, this is an example of a musical that can be done so tastefully and avant-garde and like so ahead of its time. I see it. Maybe you're so that happy. person that's going to like transform what can be done with i i because it's not it was so modern for its time yeah and i think if you're going to incorporate you know like a musical sensibility into a movie it has to be somewhat avant-garde or somewhat surreal it can't just be breaking in a song it has to have grounding beyond that um right it has to so it have to be the right project yeah and the right music because i'm very specific with music yeah and i Maybe you're the person to yeah. change what we've seen so far in that world. <laughs> you're from the Chicago area and you got your start really early, right? Um, it was first in theater and then it was in TV. It was, I think, in what 2016 when you made your TV debut in Chicago PD. You yes. Do you remember, Sophie, what some of your very first impressions were about acting professionally? Well, I grew up very very competitive and knowing that whatever i was going to do it was going to be you know with the best people like i had to be surrounded by people that would inspire me and i could learn from so i never really did any school plays and i grew up with people that were always older than that's me that's so interesting and that i would I feel them when i was 10 when I was 10, I was comparing myself to them and I was like, I need to be on their level. It was always just like me trying to like get to the- Elevate. I don't know. Elevate. I Elevate myself. And from since I was 10, after my first so interesting. show that I did, I was like, okay, now I need to be on that level. Now I need to be like, need to go up. I need to, I'm only 10, but I'm 10 going on 40. Seriously. Yeah. Um, with TV, it was a little different. That was a little bit more daunting. And I, my first TV experience, I thought I was going to have a panic attack on set. I mean, it's a crew. It's a process. It's a way of life for a lot of people, right? Like, it's like a... It is. Yeah. And it's so normal now. Yeah. It's so normal for me now. And it's crazy thinking about how I used to approach it. Um, And it's interesting how it's flipped, how theater seems more anxiety provoking than, um, than film just because I'm just more used to film. But when I first, um, kind of tried to attack a TV show or anything, it felt like I had one shot or a couple takes. Yeah. And if I wasn't present within those moments, which I usually wasn't because I was nervous, then I screwed it. Like it was very, felt like life or death. And then within a theater, it felt like you can play around and you have the time to move around um, and, you know, dance in the character's shoes and actually live in the shoes rather than being too hyper-focused on being present within that one minute that you have on screen. Right. right. In 2018, you work with Jay Duplass for the South by Southwest award-winning film Prospect. He's someone who has had vast experience in front of and behind the camera. What did you learn from Jay about the business? about the work he has a very collaborative approach and that's what I want to take with me I mean for dream projects it's I was just talking um to some people for this other show that I might do and they were saying that they want me to be a part of the entire creative process and be writing and give my input and I think that's so important and he showed me that really early on um and it was like we we were working with um, these amazing two directors, Zeke and Chris, um, but they, it was their first thing. So he was helping out a lot. And it was showing that like this is like we build a family. 
It's important to build a family. It's important to keep that lightness on set. And it's just important to trust everybody and like give your input and not just be, because he can do, I mean, J.D. Plus does it all. The, the Duplass brothers. They do it all. Right. They, they do it all. They, they do it all. And it's, I think a lot of actors are leaning more towards that more so than ever because no. it's just, there's more of a DIY approach and it's easier and it's more approachable. And, you know, if you're an actor, you're also a writer too, or you have to have a writer sensibility. You have to have a command um, of the word on the page and yeah. you have to know. You have to, yeah, yeah. 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 And you're also, I mean, I had a hard time growing up feeling like I wasn't an artist cause I was an actor, but I'm the more and more that I do like really serious shows and serious roles and see the impact that I can have. It makes me, I'm like, no, that's bullshit. That's just some, because in another life I would have wanted to be a musician or a painter or something a little bit more just, uh, just different. Well, I'm not surprised that you were saying like people are looking to you to kind of weigh in on all. That's not surprising to me at all that people you know, maybe enlist you for a project or think about you for a project and think about how else you can be a part of the project aside from just like playing the part and saying the lines. I'm not surprised at that at all. Um, and I think that's so exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. And I think it's a run right into great, that, right? That. Just run towards that. Yeah. What could be yeah, better? Because that's the dream. And I feel like I want to be making my own movies, but by the time I'm 30, like I would love to direct. I would love yeah. to make my own movies and tell my own specific stories. Um, not yet. <laughs> yeah. There's so much for you to do. There's so much for me to learn on set still. And I just want to attack that at the right time when I'm at my most confident. And I think I'm still learning so much right now. Stephen yeah. King, a uh, posted an incredibly complimentary tweet about yellow jackets last year. Uh, I know. And up, I saw that. And upcoming, you're starring in an adaptation of his The Boogeyman, which is a storyline mm -hmm. that was previously adapted to films like Black Swan and A Quiet Place. It's releasing on June 2nd. Is that still correct? Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah. Um it's being released in theaters June 2nd, and I'm really, really happy that it's getting a theatrical release because it was originally supposed to be just on Hulu. But I think within movies like this, I'm happy that horror is having a moment and horror is being taken seriously because- You love the horror film genre. I do, I do. And I don't want to be totally, you know, boxed into one category, but it's what I grew up with. Um, and I think there's so many- Things that you can play around with. How so, horror. Sophie? That's interesting. What were the first horror films that influenced you? First horror, definitely 28 Days Later. Love that movie. Um, Pan's Labyrinth was oh. a big movie for me. And just playing into that, what I was saying about wanting to live in that other fantasy world. And they built when they, I mean, Guillermo del Toro did it so well and it felt like such a lived in world that when I watched it really early on, it was like, it blew my mind. Um, and that's the fun thing about genre pieces. It's something that I don't get to experience while I'm here. So I get to experience it in my fantasy world when I'm on camera and hopefully fully present. But about um, Boogeyman, Boogeyman um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm very excited that it's going to theaters and not just on, um, you know, your TV screen or your phone screen. Cause you're actually to some extent, unless you walk out of the theater forced to go on that journey with my character. And I don't know, I was really excited when I watched it. I think I'm getting better at watching myself and removing myself from the character and realizing, I think this character specifically, so not me, that I was able to do that pretty quick. It took like 10 minutes of not looking at the screen to be like, okay, 
This isn't me. This it's is like the, 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 the ultimate difficulty for for an act. So, I guess there's some more than others, right? Some actors are okay with viewing themselves on screen. It, it was bad for a while. For that's me. hard. I mean, it's that's, just natural. I like, can understand. That seems hard. Work. That seems really hard, Sophie. It seems hard. Um, yeah. What did you love about working on the Boogeyman? Um, what do you love about the story? I think there's so much. I think at the core of the movie is about a family and it's about grief and how different people deal with grief differently. And I think um, I was lucky enough to have a character that had a really well-rounded arc and even watching it, um, you have a lot of empathy for the character. And I felt so close to her and living in that world for two months was fucking exhausting. And I wasn't expecting it to be that exhausting. Right. Right. You just think it's like, it's a genre film. It's fucking heavy. And experiencing that and living in that world to the fullest potential and having people that were pushing me and like a director that really believed in me, we built a very strong foundation before going in, which is so nice to have that within film don't really get that as much in TV because it's such a faster process. Um, but we had a couple of meetings with me and Chris and the director and went through the script, started improvising, started building very specific moments and past memories that I think really made it a fully lived in world. And it feels that way when I watched it, it felt very lived in. I mean, it was a really tough experience, but after seeing it, I'm really proud of it. I can't wait to see it. Mm. In Yellow Jackets, of course, you played Natalie alongside Juliette Lewis, uh, who plays older Natalie. You've talked about this mm. many times in interviews. You've collaborated closely with her to build out mm-hmm. the character in terms of her style, her interests, all the things. Did you get a chance to regroup with Juliet around who Nat is in season two? <laughs> I'm like, not really. No. I, I mean, mean I yeah. Like if a, the answer is no, the answer is no. Because you you, yeah, you, because you, you guys built a major foundation for Natalie, a major one. Yes. What she listens to, what want. she looks like. And we have so much trust within each other. Um, so much trust that I think to some extent, you know, the trust, it speaks for itself. And sometimes it's better not to be overly self-aware, which I can, you know, lean towards. And sometimes knowing too much of what is going on within present day Natalie isn't going to help me because that's the the end result of Natalie. And I get to fill in the blanks to what gets her there. And that's exciting for me. And that's an exciting job. But um, it's, it's a very rare opportunity that you get to see where the character ends up. Um, and there's a lot to build within that. And it's sometimes hard for me watching the show, being like, no, like I'm not as intense as Juliet. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. She's still, yes. Yes. She's still going through so much more and has so many more years of turmoil and trauma and guilt stored in her um, that it makes sense that she's not there yet. And there is going to be a little bit of a disconnect. And that's what I've realized. There's 20 years. The 20 years is a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. Mm. On the same topic, what do you think the value will be? I mean, can you even think about this? Maybe you can't, maybe it's hard to even think about this, but what will the value be? Or do you think about it in any way in having collaborated so closely with a veteran actor like Juliet early on in your career? She's someone who is a distinct persona in TV and film, someone who's made a big mark with her artistic contribution do you ever think about what that experience is or what this experience is of collaborating with her, what it might mean for you and might prepare you for going forward? It's definitely given me confidence. It's given me the feeling that I can have artistic freedom and I I don't have to just do one thing and I don't just have to be an actor and it's not always going to be that because Juliet does it all. I mean, she's to me like a fucking performance artist, like even on stage. A performance artist. Yes. 
like she goes to that other extent. And it's so exciting to see that and see how much respect people have for her and realize that like, you can be taken seriously as an artist, as an actor. And that was always kind of my, like growing up around musicians and such, it was my concern that like, oh, you know, you won't be taken seriously, but Juliet has that confidence and that artistic freedom to delve into music when she doesn't want to act. Like she can do anything and it definitely gave me that confidence. And she just, I don't know, playing a younger her has made me, I don't know, just definitely, yeah, more confident, forcing myself, forcing myself, just trying to be more spontaneous and less, um, less aware. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting place to be, I would think, playing like side by side sort of playing this role but then also that role is being played by this, you know, iconic actor who has like a, you know, it's like, it's, it's a little bit of like a mind fuck in a way. Right. It's such a mind fuck. Yeah. It's a mind fuck, but it's also so incredible to have. Like in a great way. <laughs> yeah, And such a specific ref, like her voice is just in my head as the character. And like, I know Natalie is such a clearly drawn out character because of that, because we have Juliet. Um, and I interpreted her in my own way. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah. This season, Yellow Jackets gets more intense. I, I think way more intense. How did you yeah. get ready to work on season two? Is there anything you did to prepare yourself in advance to go dark and go deep for the season's storylines? Um, What's your process little- like? walking into a project. I mean, you know, this project, which is, you know, had an epic season one, there's a, 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 like a really epic season two. Was there anything that you did before you stepped in to actually working on things? I think for me, I was trying not to get myself in the same spot that I ended at last year. So it was very focused on almost like not bringing the character home too much and wanting to remain healthy. And I got in this like crazy scooter accident um, day before I was supposed to leave for shooting. Um, And that put me in a really dark place um, because I like lost teeth and stuff. And I was supposed to be in Vancouver, but I'd just gone through something very traumatic and very random Um, And I think that kind of built some heaviness and grit within me that stayed within the character and just stayed within me in general. So going into season two, I was like, like, I can't let this get too heavy. Um, Mm. I brought my boyfriend. Um, I would go back and forth. I traveled so often. If I had two days off, I would go to LA. Like put a little space in between everything. Yes. Yeah. I was always going back to LA because I was just like already living with so much heaviness that I, and Natalie, so you walked into it, having just gone through a pretty jarring experience, knowing that you were going into this project where there's heavy material. Which will be jarring. Yes. <laughs> My next question for you was how do you do the dance of both keeping Nat with you and letting her go during the course of shooting during a season? What happens between those in-between times in the shoot schedule? And you just explained it. It's sort of this season. It was about, kind of putting space around everything, going back, leaving the actual physical surrounding and going back to LA for a little space. Yeah. Cause for me, it, it, I'm very sensitive to my physical environment uh-huh. and I'm just learning that, which is funny. Well, that's why I asked uh, you that question. Like, so having a home. Yeah. 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 Very sensitive in Vancouver to me, sadly, great city, but it's yellow jacket. It's yellow jacket. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's hard to get out of that headspace no matter what, no matter how hard you try. Um, but like, I mean, home for me is within my boyfriend. It's within my twin. It's within my mom. It's within my sister. You find that early on when you're working a lot and traveling a lot and a lot of pressure is put on you, I think. Or you're lucky enough. I was lucky enough to find that. 
the group's cannibalism is finally seen on screen this season. <laughs> in a pivotal key scene right but also in scenes with teen shauna how was that for you before during and after i loved the way it was brought into the um brought into the episode i love how they play with um this crazy, like surrealist, um, dream sequence. And I viewed that as, you know, that's them trying to cope and that's them trying to escape. And I love that the show is kind of going into more obscure, more just like more outlandish, um, dream sequences and like getting, going to places that it wasn't going to before. And I love how such a huge moment it went there. Um, I was nervous just because it's such a big moment. And I know that within my friends, they all love the show, but everybody's like, yeah. So like when, when are you going to start doing that? Like, that's the question. That's the question of the show. Cause it's set on, it's set up so early in the pilot. It has people going yeah. like, are they going to go there? Are they going to go there? Are they going to go? There? And when is it going to happen? But I think we have done such a good job with building up to this moment yes. that it feels justified. And if it yes. happened too early on, it wouldn't have felt justified. And these characters would have been seen as, you know, like you wouldn't have the same connection. You wouldn't feel the empathy that you do for them. And that's why when I was reading it, it was, and we make jokes on set and it like feels, I mean, it's not normalized, but it feels like you can't judge them because we've already built up so much empathy for our characters and they are in the worst possible situation that that's like, that's it. That's all. And once they go to this point, there's no going back. And it's just about, they've opened up a door, a very a door into the dark abyss. And, you know, it can, there's no going back. You have to live with that guilt. And that means Basically, anything can happen now. <laughs> I want to talk technical stuff for a second. I'm so curious yeah. about what the discussion was like around how each of you should perform in that scene in eating a human body. I mean, I just, I, there's no way to not be blunt about it, but is yeah. there a discussion around how that should be approached from a performance standpoint from all of you i think it was, it was definitely different for everybody because every character is taking it in their own way yes but then also trying to justify it in their own way i think within what i was naturally feeling that day on set i was pretty disassociated um because they did a very good job with replicating her body i heard and, that it was like a combination of like jackfruit and molasses and rice paper and it was great and they did the best they could but it was just such a I had a lot of almost like out of body moments I could only imagine kind of panic moments yeah yeah, when I'm doing that and it played well with the character and I think Natalie would have you know turned to that turned her numbness yes on, like you, she would have experienced on. it that way. You can survive, and I was doing that in a way that it was like, just as an actor, I was like, "What the fuck am I doing with my job, with my life? Like, what the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> um, Sounds like, and I was just feeling that naturally, so it just played into that, and I think everybody felt that in their own way, and we were all it, it tried to remain light on set, but a lot of people, like people, were throwing up on set. Um, it got like weird that day. Um, but I think it just was all of us interpreting it and interpreting it as our characters in different ways. It's sort of this like unspeakable, we hear, honestly, not to go there, but we're sort of, we are as a human race sort of been desensitized to a lot of things in recent years, but this is one that like goes to a whole other it's like we yeah. might be desensitized to some pretty intense and awful things, but this is really out there in terms of like what people can actually even imagine in their corner of their mind's eye. I yeah. also read though that 
Natalie would maybe not be one that participates in this eating of the body. I never heard that. (laughs) I read that. So you'll tell me if I'm wrong. I read that too. I read an article in Rolling Soul that said that um, maybe Natalie was not going to eat the body. You know, she's this sort of skilled huntress of the group. She's emotionally tough. So true. Uh, and not weak. I think it could have gone either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think her arc this season, she's so, so focused on survival. Yes. And losing a sense of herself in that way, where her moral foreground is getting a little bit muddled within just focusing on survival. So I think it does make more sense for her to eat Jackie. Wow. Let's use the word participate. 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 Yes. Um, Because she needs, she is so fucking, she needs, like, she has to survive. And I think that is just her mindset this season. Um, So I think it does make sense. Or it could have gone the other, I think it could have gone either way because she is um, still, still the most grounded because she's facing reality every day and she's the one that's facing with the practical issues and feeding everybody and you actually physically going outside every day while everybody else is huddled you know, up and so- crazy. yeah they have that time to go to that other place and follow Lottie and follow her not exactly optimism but her giving some kind of answer yeah well um, I want to talk to you all about that answer. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we also learn a lot about this season, we learn more about Natalie's relationship with Travis. How do you describe their relationship this season? And also how do you view their relationship in adulthood? It's so toxic and it's so codependent. And I think they originally, they bonded through trauma and through um, being outcasts. And I don't think that would have happened if they were just in school, they never would have crossed paths. So this is a very right. strange, intimate right. One of those relationships. It's weird it's thinking totally about that. Totally one yeah. of those relationships where like- Grown into that. Yes. They were both the outcasts. Yeah. Um, and- they bonded over that. And I think Natalie is someone that, um, you know, doesn't have a father, never had any strong parental figure in her life. So within relationships, there's a heaviness and a more desperate desire to search for that, um, some kind of parental figure or some kind of guidance, some kind of Anchor, just like an anchor. An anchor, yes, yes. So it's very, it's a deep desire for her. And it's, that's what happens when, like, I mean, I feel that I don't talk to my dad. um, So I completely understand that and feel that in relationships. Um, But it's just, yeah, they're so codependent and they both have seen each other at their worst. And I think that's also their point of connection because they've seen each other at their worst. They know that nobody else will ever understand what they've been through. So nobody else will ever have as deep of a connection, which is terrible, but sometimes that's how it is. It's, I don't know. I mean, it makes, makes total sense to me and I would be the same as Natalie. I would be drawn to him and, you know, you just want your person. And like I said earlier, you just want to feel less alone. And Natalie has a lot of loneliness already instilled in her. There's a lot of codependence that we see, you know, um, taking root, but maybe the very root of their codependence or the real root of their codependence, does that lie in what happens this season in season two of Yellow Jackets when we learn that Natalie does something to help Travis deal with his loss is that maybe when the height that when the real codependence is maybe established is when Natalie makes this big sort of gesture to help him with his loss and try to protect him from something 
it reaches more peaks this season and she carries a lot of guilt. And I think no matter what, even within episode two, when she, you know, fakes Javi's death, I read it as she's just looking out for him. And I know morally a lot of people disagree with that. But immediately I was like, no, of course. Like she wants, she can't have Travis die, you know, searching for him hour upon hour. Like who knows what would happen. So I think in her mind that was what would save him. Um but she knows it's wrong and there's so much guilt within her um, guilt from her past guilt from what happened with her dad, even though it wasn't her fault. It was like, there's so much already in her and there's so much that continues to be built this season in later episodes too, that make it so much worse. <laughs> so would much you worse. have done the same thing, Sophie? Would you have protected a Travis in that moment and been like, let me make this a little easier for this person that I love. I don't know. But yeah. I think. I mean, that's a crazy she, question to ask you, but I just did. No, it <laughs> is. It is. But like, it is. But I think Natalie is a is a bit more resilient than I am. And I want to take that quality from her. It's my favorite quality of hers. But she is so focused on survival and has been surviving her entire life. Um. I don't think I have that in me. I mean, it's so hard to put myself in her shoes. <laughs> extraordinary shoes. Like, yeah. I mean, selfishly, selfishly, I'm always going to take her side as an actor. Belief system, Sophie, emerges as a theme this season. There's the group sometimes called a cult this season uh, that adult Lottie leaves in her wellness center compound in order to create higher purpose and ritual while stranded. Um, we also see the the group, um, the crash victims also sort of turn to a practice of theirs. The effects of trauma are a core theme in Yellow Jackets, but how do you think the show is tackling the discussion around maybe cults and spirituality and belief systems and opening up the table for that discussion? I think within the past casts, I think where they're coming from is just a place of desperation and a place of feeling lost and wanting to grasp onto something and find tangible answers. Um, um, or into, I don't know. It's hard. And I feel like within people that are prone to falling into a cult. And I've been watching a lot of cult documentaries. I know, me too. Like, you and me both. We, um, right. It's They come from a very lost place and it's seeking guidance and it's having somebody. And it's the same with religion. It's the same with like giving purpose to everything. Because when there's not what, like, an, I mean, this is getting super existential or whatever. <laughs> right. but yeah, very meta. Like if there's not, an afterlife, then like, what are we doing this? Like, then anything could happen. Like, you know, it's trying to find a reason and a sense of purpose. And I think Natalie talks about that. And I think all of them, to some extent, lost their sense of purpose after the wilderness. But specifically Natalie, she had an important role there. And she had, um, she was keeping them all alive. Um, so I think she loses her sense of purpose. So she can be prone to that, to Lottie and to later on, but not now because she hasn't gotten there quite yet um, within, you know, younger Natalie. I'm curious from the perspective of someone who is Gen Z, how do you see nineties culture and how do you feel about the nineties <laughs> nostalgia that we're seeing so much of right now? And that's a big integral part of the, Yellow Jacket storyline. It's a part of yeah. the, the look, the feel. Do you think there's something special about the 90s as an era? I'm so curious as to your perspective on that. I think I'll always kind of glamorize it to an extent because I didn't live in it. And I didn't, I don't know. I mean, I know musically because I grew up with 90s music. I think there was an openness 
And also, it felt, I don't know how to say it, it felt a little bit more relaxed and less self-aware. Very Um, much so. I think now we are very self-aware to an extent that can be dangerous and taint you from fully being yourself or, you know, it can hold you back in a lot of ways. Um, and I think the nineties because no social media, um, I think it's just cooler because it didn't have that. And it was so different because of that. So a great way of explaining it. After two seasons of being an integral part of an Emmy nominated show, you know, yellow jackets is the most watched showtime series of the last six years. How has it changed the way you understand what your strengths are as an actor and how you want to navigate your career going forward? Um, I know that I, I mean, I love being able to be vulnerable on camera. That feels therapeutic to me. And no matter what parts I take on, I just want to be able to be as vulnerable as possible. And that's scary. And it's now weird to realize that everybody's seen me be vulnerable and, you know, like not, not at my best, of course. Um, but I don't know. Natalie, people like to say that she's a lot like me and she kind of is, but she's definitely not. Um, more so not because we're just living in different circumstances. Um, but I just want to play such vastly different characters. I want to play someone that is so far from who I am that I get to experience something that I would never get to experience. That's my goal, just to experience things that I would never get to experience. I don't want to ever play myself. (laughs) So uncomfortable. That was the last question that I was going to ask you before we head to your success list and wrap up the podcast. You know, you're at this super exciting beginning of your career and you said that you've been like, look to, to play certain types of roles at this point. You also said that you want to be a chameleon in your, in your work. What, what mm-hmm. do you, what do you envision for yourself for the future? Just being as diverse as possible in your choices. Yeah. As far, I don't want people to recognize me. I know you said something about wigs in an interview that I thought was so interesting. You're like, I just want to. That's the easiest way to transform. I love it. And it's like, I'm changing every day. Um, and there's always like this preconceived notion that actors should be blank slates. And I do want to be that to an extent, but it's also, I have my taste and I have my interests. Um, but it is important for me because I feel like my face changes so much. My face can change so easily with makeup, with hair. Like witness that firsthand. That's true. Got that. Yeah. yeah. You've got that face that can go period. It can go. It can go a lot of different places. And I want to be unrecognizable because that's all the actors that I look up to, you know, are transformative and you don't recognize they're character actors too. And I want to delve more into that where it's like, you know, like playing someone that's so not you. Love it. Okay. Switching gears as we wrap up, we talk about what's on your list of favorite things these days from fashion to beauty to wellness, music, books, art. I know you you love it all. What kind of six things are you obsessed with right now? Okay, let me look around. I feel like you probably have more than six. So yeah, you have more than six. Yeah. Um, I have this synth that I really love. I have a Summit Novation synth. It's right over there. And I make great ambient music. I would love to score something with that synth. That's very cool. Um, I have, um, I've been reading, I just have this book on the table. I'm just going to say this. Sam Shepard, Seven Plays. What are you getting out of Sam Shepard's book? He creates such lived in characters within so many different, there are so many different archetypes, but they're played out realistically. We're not ranking these in order, but you're on number three. Okay, let me turn this around. Um, this is an incredible 
record. Wow. Um, I've been playing it a lot. It's really been, it's been great for me to paint too. Wow. Um, and it's good to space out too. Um, I'm going to do one other record for number four. Yeah. Amazing. Um, this, um, Exuma, I've also been painting to this. He's incredible. He's from the sixties. Um, Paul McCartney, um, covered one of his songs. Um, He's just really experimental and way ahead of his time. Amazing. Um, okay. What five. are you playing your uh, records on? Do you get your record? Um, right here. I have a sound system, oh, but I cool. also have this. We're walking player. through, just so people who can't see this, we're walking through Sophie's space with her. And there is an, an abundance of gorgeous art on the walls. She's showing <laughs> us her whole music collection, which is awesome. Um, 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 a couple more items in your life that you're that are go-tos for you they can be go-tos yeah they can be um, the shoes you keep putting on a sweater you keep putting on they okay be- yes these shoes i wear every day that's you know these shoes i wear these um what are the shoes that you're going to do are they vintage they're no. vintage i got them for my stylist i think they're made in so you're into so- like a low fur silhouette these days yeah. yeah, I don't. I've just been wearing these every day because I like a little bit of a pop of color because I always just wear black or brown. Yeah, um, they're great. Okay, one more. Okay, I just went to this Dior. I just got a lot of free Dior makeup, and there's this like Dior shine here that I put in the corners of my eyes. Smart, and it gives me a nice glow. Um, and just kind of like opens up my face a bit. You know um, what you're doing. But I just got that. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, we're wrapping up, but I'm curious, what are you binge watching these days? Is there anything you're binge watching now that your season's over? I just watched Beef. Oh my God, everyone's talking about Beef. It's fucking good. Just binge the hell out of Beef, yeah? Yeah, I watched it one day. Uh, Recommend to everybody. Yeah, Beef. (laughs) Sophie, I adore you. Thanks so much. Uh, Uh, Thank you so much. I don't need to tell anyone to go and watch Yellow Jackets. You all are doing so already. And if you're not, please do so. It's incredible. It's now in its incredible season two. And also look out for Sophie's film coming out in early June, which we talked about here, The Boogeyman. (laughs) 